Kyle Clifford, Tyler Toffoli, Alec Martinez, those three pieces of the 2014 LA Kings were on the ice for that OT winner against the Rangers that won the 2014 Stanley Cup. All of them on different NHL teams following this year's trade deadline. And while Los Angeles might have traded a lot of pieces, they weren't the major team making noise. The Hurricanes were quite busy at this year's deadline. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights upgraded their goaltending. A handful of cup contenders did a few things. Others didn't do anything at all. But who has the edge heading into the playoffs? Episode 208 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And uh, we have a lot of trades to get to. In fact, um, the 31 trades, or it was, yeah, I believe it was 31 trades made on trade deadline day. Actually, one of the busiest trade deadlines in recent memory, Brett, and uh The Carolina Hurricanes made three noticeable trades, starting with um, a trade that sends Vincent Trocek to Raleigh. Yeah, this was the most surprising one because he wasn't even on my radar. I don't know about you, Steve, but... Um, I, I, I think we can both agree if any Florida Panthers four was getting traded on the deadline, it was probably Mike Hoffman. Right, right. Um, and then I guess we heard, so I, I guess I'll start off before I talk further about the deep, uh, everything else. I'll tell you what the trade was and then, um, and then we'll talk about it. But it was, yeah, so Vincent Trocek goes to Carolina, um, and then Florida goes, gets, uh, Eric Halla, Lucas Walmark, Chase Prisky, and E2 Lewis Starian. Um, so Chase Prisky was actually, like, if you remember, a while back he was like he was a Washington um, prospect uh, but then he he was a very good college uh, defenseman um, college hockey defenseman and then he uh, you know he was able to waive his rights and go to Carolina um, and then he gets traded to Florida right after which is apparently where he's born I found out so he, he grew up as a Florida Panthers fan I also saw that Eric Hollow grew up as a Florida Panthers fan, or at least he tweeted something with him as a kid wearing a Florida Panthers jersey. So I think, so that is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, the bigger news, obviously that's not the biggest news here in this trade in particular, is that Vincent Trocek is uh, going to Carolina. Um, he kind of had a... I mean, he, he had an off year. He's having an off year this year. Um, this Yeah, this year. Well, I'm just pulling up the cap friendliest page here. Um, he has, uh, you know, he had uh, 36 points in 55 games, uh, 58 games, which isn't bad, obviously, but, like, uh, previously in the 2017-2018 year, he had 75 points in 82 games, um, and that's like an insane clip. I guess there was like when I 
we when we heard further on, like apparently Trocek and Quenville didn't get along, so that may have been why uh, they wanted to trade him, um, because I guess it was just irreconcilable differences or something, irreconcilable differences and whatnot, but it's still, um, like, Vincent Trocek's still a pretty good player. Um, also, I mean, like, I know last year he got that injury where it looked like he, like, broke a, his leg, basically, um, and then, you know, he had to recover, and he finally did recover late in the season, um, and he's still, like, a good player. He's still 26 years old. He's still, um, there, um, but yeah, he, um, but yeah, it's interesting too, cause he had, um, he has, I think here, he has two more years left on his contract, uh, for Carolina. So this does help Carolina cause you know, they're, they basically have, in terms of centers, they just have Sebastian Ajo and like Jordan Stahl. Um, Jordan Stahl isn't real, like he's a good center, but I don't think he's a second line center. So Vincent Trocek will be able to fill that role um, pretty well for them. And they have a bunch of different wingers that they can latch on to for, for him. Because you have Nino Nitter, like, obviously you have Taravine and, and uh, Svechnikov. But you also have uh, Ryan Dezingle, Nino Nitterreiter, um, even, like, Warren Fogel has his moments. Uh, Martin Nikash uh, can play right wing sometimes. So they have a lot of good wingers as well so they just needed more centers um and their defense is always pretty good too so it's like um so yeah this definitely helps carolina in their playoff push um the question here is though i'm not really sure why florida does this um do you have any thoughts on that well yeah it is a bit of an interesting situation uh, with florida and the part about uh, Trocek and Quenville, if that holds uh, any water, that definitely explains why this move was made. And he all of a sudden became available. That, In fact, uh, the day of the deadline, uh, I'm pretty sure um, I heard uh, Don Waddell speaking to Hockey Central on Sportsnet uh, 590 The Fan. Um, it, it was one of those conversations that just happened they weren't expecting trocheck to be available and then he becomes available they put this trade offer forward and they start going back and forth with dale talon and uh eventually a deal is done and by the time i had woken up in fact as uh, the deal had been made so it, it happened in the early hours of february 24th which uh it, it it's a bit interesting still why florida would do this because his big year in 2017-18 trocek scored 31 goals like you mentioned at 75 points also had 287 shots so very close to 300 shots that year um averaging close to 330 per game on the power play he had 27 power play points um to put that into perspective i don't even think he had 15 power play points in a season prior to that um, he was averaging over 21 minutes per game, uh, taking a lot of face-offs as well uh, for Florida. So if you put him on like a first line or a second line role and you put good talent around him, Vincent Trocek is capable of doing some good for your team. And even 
even this year, like 36 points in 55 games, that's not too bad. Um, considering, especially when you look at his ice time from 2017-18, it's gone from 21-22 in about a year and a half. It's gone from that to 16-52, which is a drop of four minutes, 30 seconds per game. That's quite the big drop. And like you said, in 27 in 2018-19 rather that injury against Ottawa definitely um derailed a pretty good season for him he was on a roll at the time if I remember correctly and um still is putting up the numbers that um he's putting up right now so I definitely think if he's in a if he's in a good position in Carolina he's going to do some good he's actually centering uh, the third line with the uh, knee rider in the cash, if I remember correctly. Um, Nita is one of those guys that Carolina needs to get going. Yeah. So hopefully Troche can help with that. I think this is a move that makes Carolina better because I think Trocek is more of an established player than someone like Eric Halla is, than someone like Lucas Walmark is. Um, and he's he's got two years left, like you said, four point seven five million dollar cap hit. You know, if he can return to like the thirty goal form at just under five million per year, that's a very very good acquisition by the Hurricanes. Like you said, it it kind of boggles the mind from a Panthers standpoint. I guess maybe they want to see what Hola can do. Um, if he's worth keeping around, uh, Lucas Walmark has some potential to him. Uh, hasn't really hit his full strides, so I can see the upside there. Chase Prisky has looked very good in his first AHL season. So has um, their uh, European prospect, Louis Doreenan, who has a European assignment clause on his uh, deal that he signed. So it'll be interesting uh, to see if he continues in the AHL or if at some point he goes back to Europe. But he's doing pretty well in the AHL, uh, similar numbers to Prisky. So it wouldn't surprise me if he sticks around the North American circuit that way. Uh, I, I think maybe this was an attempt to save cap space for Dadanoff. That's the only other... Uh -huh logistical reason I can see or, or maybe making enough cap space to keep Dadenov and Hoffman yeah. if they think Hoffman's a part of the solution moving forward um, I, I think maybe they can get Paula for a little bit cheaper if they re-sign him but yeah. um, I, I think for Florida they needed to get more depth as well so if trading Trocek means they get two more pieces to bolster it's good on Dale Talon for that, but I don't know if the Florida Panthers are a better team by dealing Vincent Trocek, though. Yeah, I think the thing that's kind of puzzling is, is like just before this trade deadline, they were neck and neck with Toronto for that third Atlantic spot um, yep. in the East. They were pretty close to making the playoffs, and then I guess when you trade Vincent Trocek, who's one of your key guys, it's like, okay, you're kind of like giving up on the playoff race. Um, I mean, I know that they would have to face either Tampa or Boston in the first round. Um, and that's probably not, they probably would be out if they were to make it there. But 
that move just makes me think like, oh, they're just basically giving up on the year. And now uh, Toronto is uh, five. Which is kind of odd because yeah. like all of the offseason moves they were making was yeah. to make the playoffs. Right. And now uh, Toronto is five points ahead of Florida. I also saw that Sergei Bobrovsky is injured or something like that. So I don't know. Maybe it's just as well. Mm. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, it's just a strange move because of what you're saying is they made this, they made that move to get Bobrovsky, um, you know, and they, they made a couple of other deals in, for Florida, like, I guess, primarily Mike Hoffman um, the, the year before that. But like, you would think that like, oh, they should be, this seems to be more of like a rebuilding move. Um, and even at that, like Vincent Trocek's 26 years old. He's not like that old. Like, I could understand if they were doing this for, like, Evgeny Dadanoff or Mike Hoffman because they're just a little bit older. But uh, Trocek's, you know, still pretty young. He still has some some stuff left in the tank, so to speak. But maybe you're right. Maybe it is some, like, cap space reason or maybe it's because they do want to sign both Hoffman and Dadanoff, who are both UFAs next year. Now, that's also certainly possible. Or, like you said, that, that uh, Quenville... Uh, yeah. chemistry also plays a factor if it's true which For i sure. could also see being a reason why they would trade him and if they knew that it wasn't going to work out all things considered they got a good return yeah I, I just I, I, I again debatable how it makes them better by dealing trocheck yeah i guess it's more like so you get back eric Halla, who's not bad by the way he's He's un, a bit underrated. He had a hot start to start the year in Carolina, but then he kind of cooled off um, towards the end of it. And then you had, a, you know, Lucas Walmark, who's okay. And then you get two prospects who, you know, you never really know with prospects. So it wasn't like a terrible return. It's just like it's a move that you make for the future instead of uh, for the playoff hunt right now, which is just a little odd considering what the moves they had made um for the last couple of months um okay let's yeah. go to um okay so carolina made a couple of other moves um a little bit minor but uh still worth noting yes so uh the first one is brady shea is going to carolina um for a 2020 conditional first round pick are going to the Rangers. Uh, that condition is the Rangers will receive the later or lower of either Carolina or Toronto's 2020 first round picks. Um, I guess Carolina has two, has Toronto's first round pick as well on the... Yeah, which uh, which they got for taking on Patrick Marlowe's contract, oh, right, which they right. later bought out. That's right. Um, so, so that's the condition. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was kind of, you know, this was another strange move by the Rangers, um, I guess. But, like, well, I, I, I guess I should rephrase this. When I um, first saw this, I was like, oh, okay, Brady, like, he's a decent player. I thought he would, um, I, I was surprised that they, the Rangers didn't want to hold on to him. But then when I was thinking about it, like, Tony D'Angelo is doing really well. Jacob Truba, of course, and Adam Fox are doing really well right away. Um, 
And, you know, Brady Shea has kind of, like, he was, when he first jumped into the league, he had, did, he was, like, a big-time point producer and stuff. And then, after a while, he sort of turned into this shutdown defenseman, which is, turns out to be what he's good at. So, um, so I guess it makes sense to, for Carolina to make this trade and stuff. But on the other hand, it's like, Carolina has a bunch of uh, defensemen already, um, I mean, I know Dougie Hamilton is out a uh, long term, but they also have Jacob Slavin, Jake Gardner, Joel Edmondson, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Hayden Fleury as well. Um, so it's a little, and then we're about to talk about Sammy Badenin as well. So, uh, so they just added a couple of defensemen uh, to help their even a bigger strength of theirs even further. Yeah, and. What, what's interesting is that all they had to give up to get Brady Shea a defenseman with term was a first-round pick that's probably going to be in the mid to late first round. Right. And there's nothing else, no roster players, no other picks. It's just that conditional first. So basically, Carolina took full advantage of the Rangers' situation knowing that the Rangers need to get rid of Brady Shea because they were paying him a lot to – not really do all that much he was a third pairing defenseman and you look at d'angelo you look at adam fox jacob truba they all had more points than brady shea this year at the time of the trade yeah and even on the hurricanes he's a third pairing right shot defenseman so um it, it things haven't really changed uh for brady in terms of what his role is but consistently he can get up the century mark in hits um, he can get up to 130 to 150 shots a year, over 100 block shots sometimes too, um, 130 to 180 hits, close to like 25 points as well, uh, 20 to 21 minutes per game. In the past three years, that's what you've gotten out of this guy. And as a rookie, he almost had 40 points. Yeah. So if he can get in a good role, and he can flourish offensively and he can get some power play time, he could be a very good defenseman for the Hurricanes. And he can also play the left side, which I arguably would say is their weaker side. They are, they're pretty good on the right, but I think they're just a little bit weaker on the left side. So once the injuries um, kind of like, um, like it, once they kind of wear off a little bit, and they start to get a bit healthier, um, you'll start to see more Brady Shea on the left side than the right. Um, and he, even his numbers this year for a third-pairing defenseman aren't that bad. So I, I think given the fact that he's got four more years after this year, yeah, the 5.25 million might be a bit of a turnoff if he's still playing the third-pairing defensive role. I still think it favors the Hurricanes because they have a lot of defensive depth and probably also means they trade a couple of defensemen in the offseason, like Jake Gardner, perhaps, or Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Uh, Jake Gardner, for whatever reason, the numbers haven't been there this year. Uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, um, injuries have been a concern. And Aiden Fleury it has a lot of hype to him and they still have Jake Bean in the minor league system too. So there's another guy to keep in mind as well as 
we get into next year and beyond that. So one thing they aren't short on is defense. It'll be interesting to see how they work around this. Um, I don't think they turn around and say, okay, we're done with Brady Shea. They're going to give this guy multiple chances to make an impact on this roster. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that his contract is pretty, uh, like he he's on for another four years, I believe at 5.3 million. So, um, so yeah, that's probably something that the Rangers, uh, are probably glad that they can shave off, especially considering that they're paying Panarin and Truba that much, like a, a lot of money, and they still have to like pay a bunch of other guys um, pretty soon. So, so I think it is a good future move for them because Brady Shea wasn't necessarily what they what what he didn't have the same role that he had his rookie year um, that he has now. So, um, and there is potential for Carolina in terms of like, he could start getting offense going, but we'll see about that. Um, okay, let's go to, and then, oh yeah, and lastly, Sammy Badenen is going to Carolina as well for Freddie Clayson, Jan Kukonen, by the way, I'm going to butcher all these names here, and a 2020 conditional fourth. Uh, that condition, let me pull that up. Um, I thought I had it here, but I didn't. Um, the, tr- it, the Devils received the 2024th round pick if Vatanen plays in five regular season games. The pick upgrades to a 2023rd round pick if Vatanen plays in 12 regular season games or 70% of the 2020 playoffs. Um, Vatanen is injured, by the way, so that's why they held that. Uh, condition if he plays five regular regulation regular season games as well um yeah this is a another like like uh brady shea this is another move that uh could work out and it's kind of like saves whoa what was that (laughs) um it's kind of saves face from uh dougie hamilton uh being out long term so like when he's healthy, he, he could help the Hurricanes out because he has some offensive touch to him as well um, if, he, if he's put in the right spot. Yeah, Vatnin, if there's one thing he brings is power play experience, of course, the asterisk is when he's healthy and playing games. Yeah. Uh, in two of the last eight campaigns in the NHL, he's averaged just over three minutes of power play time per game. This year is one of them. Um, typically averages 21 to 22 minutes per game in all situations. He's done that for six straight years. So there's one thing he's been, it's consistent. A couple of seasons where he's surpassed 30 points. The career high for games played in a season, we mentioned the injury problems. His career high for games played in a season is 72. Um, I guess decent, but like not 82 games. Um, You also take a look at even even the short amount of time that he's played in the in a lot of the seasons um in five of his past six seasons he's had at least 10 power play points and he can record 100 shots 100 block shots um maybe a lot more than 100 shots and 100 block shots 
And for four straight years, he's recorded at least 100 shots and at least 100 shot blocks. So uh, definitely adds a bit of depth to the right side, um, especially with Pesci out for uh, apparently an extensive period of time. We're looking at weeks here with him. Um, when healthy, Vatnin is going to help out the Hurricanes in theory. Um, the question is, is it beyond this year or not, or is he just a rental? Um, again, given their defensive depth, it looks like a rental, um, but things can change. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also, I should note that the um, Jan Kukonen is actually, like, I think he's a decent prospect too so that could end up working out for the devils in a couple of years um let me just pull up his stats quickly here um yeah he has uh he had 42 points in 52 games for the charlotte checkers um and then he had three points in two games for the binghamton devils so um he's already doing pretty well in the ahl um yeah um, just a FYI, uh, I don't know if you noticed on the three trades that we mentioned, uh, the Hurricanes took on a lot of money in all of these trades. Uh, the Panthers in the Vincent Trocek trade saved $1.325 million. Um, the Rangers saved $5.25 million, uh, basically Bray Shea's contract. And uh, the Devils saved almost $2.5 million in their transaction. If you recall, the Hurricanes had a fair bit of cap space to work with, and uh, they've used up most of it. So um, cap space is no longer a weapon for the Hurricanes. They've taken on three contracts, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they work around it. It should also be noted, Sammy Vatanen, 50% of it is retained. Yep. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu, now we're going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers and their... Yeah, their they, they did a lot too, not spending as much money, but they did do a lot. They did do a lot. Uh, so, uh, Andreas Athanasiu goes to Edmonton um, along with Ryan Kuffner in this particular trade. Uh, and then yep. going to Detroit is Sam Gagne, a 2020 second round pick and a 2021 second round pick. Um and I guess uh, Sam Gagne's contract is 10% re retained um, yep. on that regard. Uh, yeah, so this is more of a Andreas Athanasiu trade more than the Sam Gagne trade. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's mostly just to do with the fact that, um, you know, McDavid, like the uh, dry side line with Ryan Nugent Hopkins on his left and Yamamoto on the right when Yamamoto is healthy was like a pretty good line and then he you know you didn't really then the only issue is, is you didn't have uh wingers for connor mcdavid or good wingers for connor mcdavid so you add andreas athanasiu on your left side who's like one of the fastest guys in the league um and he can score goals too he had 30 goals last year um and um and so like you have that in the mix then you know, you, you're kind of cooking, um, as well as, like, Zach Cassian, although I don't really believe that Zach Cassian's that good, but you never know. I guess we'll talk about the Tyler Ennis trade in a bit, but um, I guess there is one thing that could be negative towards Athanasiu, or it is a negative, is that he's pretty one-dimensional. Um, he doesn't hit that much, he doesn't block that much, 
and he has a minus 45 um, when he was in Detroit. He does have a one plus minus in the three games he's played so far in Edmonton, but um, he's kind of notorious for not playing defense and pretty much just being um, that offensive guy, which is fine if you you have Connor McDavid on your on your line or if you have Drysaddle on your line. So I guess it's it's like one of those things where you can kind of. Um, you know, negate all his bad stuff. Um, if you have like the two best players in the league on your team, um, which is some a luxury that the the Detroit Red Wings don't have. Um, but yeah, he's he's kind of a one dimensional player. But that's the only knock I really have on him. But um, he's very fast and he can score goals, which is exactly what Edmonton needs. Yeah, and needs on Connor McDavid's line. Yep. And uh, they've already put him on Connor McDavid's line. Yep. So uh, we're going to see just how good Athanasiu is. Um, 30 goals on top of the 30 goals last year, he surpassed 200 shots, only at three power play goals. So imagine if you give him some power play time, what he couldn't uh, do on this Oilers team. Hasn't been able to hit the 17 minute average in a total NHL season. Uh, but last year and this year, he was averaging over 16 minutes per game, over two minutes a game on the power play. Uh, in 2018-19, he was third in rush chances. And even though he kind of fell in the rankings this year, still 34th on a bad Detroit team, not too bad for Athanasiu. So now you put him on McDavid's line, I think there's going to be a lot of upside to his game. You're right, he needs to work on the two-way aspect and be less of a one-dimensional player but i'm confident dave tippett who uh can preach good structure is going to help out with that i i don't think really there was enough structure for athanasio to succeed in detroit i think there's a bit more to work with in edmonton i'm not going to say that it's through the roof over there um considering where they were this time last year but uh, the Oilers are definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, they have added some speed to their yep. lineup, some talent, some secondary scoring. And again, we've been preaching this whole time. The Oilers need depth on the wings, and they need guys that can score, they that can provide secondary scoring. And this is a guy that can do that. So um, definitely one of those moves that – you might not look back on and say, "Ooh, that's a super sexy move. Like Kenny Holland, man, slam dunk move. This is a great trade for him. Um, it was a trade that required little finances to get done. It's a trade where the Oilers still have control of his rights for another two years, which is important. And they get something that they need. So I applaud Ken Holland for making this move. He did good. And hopefully Athanasiu delivers. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. I guess it, it, it's an interesting experiment to see if he works or not. But, um, yeah, it kind of works there. We'll see. And the other good news is that he's going to be an RFA uh, this summer. So, yep. like, he could potentially be signed to a team-friendly deal um, mm -hmm. this this offseason. Um all right, and then they also get uh, Tyler Ennis for a 2025th round pick. 
Um, is that right? 2020? Um, uh, it was yeah. a fifth round pick in 2021 that yeah, they yeah. gave up. My bad. Uh, 2021 fifth round pick. Um, I was just going off of memory instead of actually looking it up. Um, but yeah, Tyler Ennis is another one that he had been sneaky, kind of good uh, for the Senators. Um, and then um, they were able to turn it around and... Um, trade him for a 2021 fifth round pick um yeah 33 points in 61 games i mean i guess that's not sneaky but that's, that's not too bad considering um what ottawa is but yeah it, it turns out that he's also on connor mcdavid's line with athanasiu um mm-hmm. and he can be someone that can he's also pretty defensive too if i recall so he could you know he can kind of um, help out Athanasiu and um, when you know there's defensive lapses on that side of the things, that side of things, um, but and also you know uh, keep up with McDavid and Athanasiu at the same time. So um, yeah, I this should be an interesting line, and especially when Yamamoto comes back, like the Oilers finally have a top six, uh, which is something that they haven't had in a long time, um, which is interesting um, to say the least. Um, And then, um, and then I guess I can also explain while I talk to you later, uh, as Mike Green goes to, also goes to Edmonton, um, Kyle Brodziak and a 2024th conditional uh, goes to Detroit, um, I believe, uh, the the 2024 round pick upgrades to a 2021 third round pick if Edmonton advances to the conference final and Green plays in 50% of the games, which is interesting because Mike Green is out three to four weeks um, due to injury. I forget exactly what injury it is, but he is out due to injury. Um, but yeah, this was, <laughs> this is one of those things where like a couple of years ago, Mike Green was one of the best defenseman in the league and then all of a sudden when he went to Detroit he started stinking um so I I guess this is like a good move to see if there's anything left uh in it for Mike Green but it doesn't seem likely um just purely based off of age and he's already injured and whatnot so um we'll see exactly but um yeah he's gonna be a UFA next year um, and maybe he's just playing for a contract or something, but he's only, he's 34 years old. I don't know. This is one of the, the head scratchers for Edmonton, but I guess Ken Holland loves those Detroit Red Wings, um, with <laughs> Athanasio and Mike Green trade. So maybe that had something to do with it where he's like, oh, I'll just take from Detroit because that worked. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's something to that, but this one was more of like, really Mike Green? Who's interested in Mike Green? Um, so that's, that's where I, I'm a little confused. Well, Ken Holland is going, uh, with the safe bets. He, he goes with the guys that safe he knows what they are and he trusts that what they can bring to his team is going to be more positive than negative. And who better to get than guys, uh, you previously signed and drafted. Yeah. Uh, Mike Green, he signed. 
with the the Detroit Red Wings when he was their GM. Um, Athanasiu, he drafted right. when he was the Red Wings uh, GM. Uh, it should also be mentioned that uh, the injury to Mike Green is a sprained MCL, and Brodziak will never play again due to injury. So basically, Detroit just takes on his captain. Right. So worthy to know in the transaction. Uh, in any case, um, to your comment about Green sucking since he returned to Detroit, his first three seasons with the Caps, Green posted at least 50 points, and he had 96 points on the power play alone over his first three seasons. So, like, he was very dynamic during his time with the Capitals. Even still, his first three years with Detroit, if he didn't get to 35 points every season, he was certainly close to it. And it wasn't until, like, last year where he kind of started to regress. And it, even if you consider the games that he missed last year, if he plays a full season, he gets 35 to 40 points last year. So he definitely still has a lot to offer, even at his age. Health and age are probably the biggest concern when it comes to Mike Green. Um, what he provides is stability on the back end, um his experience in the nhl especially when it comes to playoffs people forget when the if the oilers get to the playoffs how many players on that roster know what to do once they get there mike green has been through a lot of trials and tribulations with the capitals he's been through the ups and downs of a playoff run he can help out the oilers in that regard i think in terms of playoff veteran experience you don't have to much of that on Edmonton um, and I think in terms of their young defense especially it's going to help you have guys like Caleb Jones in the system Ethan Bear um, Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberg in the system later on even Oscar Clefbaum who's one of their more veteran defensemen uh, I think a little bit of grooming for Mike Green could go a long way to help his development too so um, I think from a veteran standpoint, adding a guy like Mike Green could be very pivotal for this team. Getting back to Tyler Ennis, again, a guy that plays with speed, a guy that people forget was a three-time 20-goal scorer with the Sabres. On occasion, yep. he would get past 200 shots. Um, since 2015-16, it should be mentioned that he hasn't averaged anywhere close to 18 minutes per game. This year, he was averaging 14.45 with the Sens. Still got 15 goals, five power play goals, 35 points, 146 shots, uh, over two minutes per game on the power play. Um, again, a very underrated move at less than a million per year. You potentially get a top six talent that can play with Connor McDavid. So I think in terms of who did it better between Carolina and Edmonton, if you're looking at who got the most bang for their buck? It might be Edmonton because you look at all of the big contracts they have to work around. Ken Holland was still able to add uh, what I think were valuable pieces, but he didn't have as much money to work with compared to Carolina, and he was still able to go out and make things happen. So I applaud Ken Holland for really weaving through a very tough web that was weaved by Peter Shirelli in previous mm -hmm. years and was somehow able to make the Oilers a better hockey club. I think they're a better hockey club 
after February 24th than that than what they were going in. And you have this chemistry with, like you said, Nugent Hopkins and Drysdale and Yamamoto on top of that. They're starting to get in a groove at the right time as well. It definitely bodes well for their season moving forward when they can have a good trade deadline, but also perform well on the ice leading into it. And um, hopefully a sign of things to come and maybe a playoff run in April. Who knows? Yeah, I guess on that note, yeah, I agree. I think Edmonton did do really well this time, um, especially with the Athens CU and NS trade um, trades. Um, because that is a weak spot for them in terms of just getting wingers that can play with McDavid and Drysaddle. So that was working out for them. I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not too high on Mike Green, I guess. Maybe, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it will work out, but we'll see. Because um, you mentioned like his first three seasons, uh, Mike Green was uh, in, in the uh, Capitals, was like, um, like he had like 70 points every year, but now he has 30 points. So it's like he's, uh, that's, and that was 10 years ago. So it's like, yeah, uh, but you gotta you also know. keep in mind that, um, the Red Wings weren't as good and they certainly didn't have Ovechkin and Backstrom and all those talented oh, guys yeah, that true. Green had in Washington. But I don't think, good. I don't think he's going to have a 50, like a 70 point pace. Um, I never, I never said uh, that Mike Green was going to get that. I don't think anyone expects that either. But right. um, I definitely think providing stability, veteran experience, if he can put in 30 points, I call that a win for the Oilers. Um, I mean, 30 points in two months. Like, yeah. like, like finish the season with like 30, 35, 40 points. If, if he can have a decent, productive season yeah. overall this year, um, and if the Oilers bring him back, like on a on a team friendly deal, and he can do more of the same and help lead the defense along, I think that that's um, going to bode Edmonton well down the road for sure. Well, I, I guess it, it's kind of tough to get thirty points when there's twenty more games left, and he's injured too. But yes, I I I, didn't, I know what you mean. Um, I guess he could still produce. There's nothing like. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I just don't think it's likely. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as high on him. Um, all right. Let's go to the next uh, trade here. Uh, John Gabriel Peugeot goes to the Islanders uh, for a 2020 conditional first, a 2020 second, and a 2022 conditional third. Uh, those conditions are, as noted, that first round pick, if the Islanders win the draft lottery and select top three, that begins, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, I just read this one. Okay, the pick becomes a 2021 first round pick. Um, that, that, is, that insinuates that the Islanders aren't making the playoffs and they have a chance of winning the lottery. All right. Have you looked at the Metro Division and how stacked it is? The no, Rangers are like six or seventh, and their record's not that bad. So, but you, the, the Islanders are the like if the Islanders miss the playoffs, which I guess is likely, but um, they're they're still like they they would just miss the playoffs, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, or, like right now, they they're they're making the playoffs. 
Okay, whatever. Anyways. <laughs> and then the uh, 2022 conditional third round pick. That uh, that pick is transferred if the New York Islanders win the 2020 Stanley Cup, which is... <laughs> so, yeah, so basically Ottawa doesn't get that pick unless the Islanders win everything this year. Okay, so basically... It, it like the Islanders have to stay in the middle um, for for these for this to get um, to get the cheapest deal off of Peugeot basically um, but yeah the because um, they can't suck enough to get to win the lottery but they also have to win the Stanley Cup um, as well so it's like a to crazy conditions for both those things. It's like either one or the other. Um, anyways, uh, John Gabriel Peugeot, he's had a career year this year. Um, Steve, you love him. Um, he's a fan favorite there. I'll always remember him in Ottawa as when he uh, scored a, a bunch in that Montreal playoffs and the fans just kept on going, Peugeot, 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 yep. like the old uh, stuff. Uh, but yeah, he's a um, he's a good uh, he's a good center, um, you know, like on his second line role. Um, and I think like what happened was Ottawa like the reason why he had a breakout year, or I've been reading a lot into it, is that they kind of like they gave Peugeot a ton of ice time because they had to just to show people like, oh, this is what. Peugeot is capable of so that they could get the most out of their out of Peugeot um, which they did um, so like but like who knows how he'll fit in the island so far he has two goals in three games um, already but um, I could see him being like a third line center but and if that's the case then why did you give up so much um, if you're going to, you know, for a third line center, which doesn't make sense to me. So, um, yeah, you, you probably have more on this than I do about it, but, um, that's just my thoughts on the trade. Yeah. Um, well, it gets even better, Brett, because shortly after they right. traded that's for him, point. the Islanders signed him to a six year extension worth 5 million per year. Yeah. They also gave him a no trade clause the first two years and a 16 team no trade in years three to six. Now, the bulk of the money is going to get paid in the first two years 7 million in year one, 6.5 in year two. And then year three to six, it goes 4.5, 4.5, 4, 3.5. So they get the bulk of the money out of the way early, which, which I guess is good for the Islanders. Um, but again, uh, you mentioned third line center. That's exactly what he is right now. He's centering the third line with Dal Cole on uh, left wing and Josh Bailey on right wing. Um, remains to be seen if it stays that way. Um, but the, the thing with Pajot is I don't know offensively what he is. Um, in 2015-16, he had 19 goals and 43 points. Um, the year after that, he had 168 shots. Those are his career highs. Um, this year, he has 26 goals and 41 points. Um, but he hasn't been scoring at this pace ever as an yeah. NHLer. So we don't know if this is the start of the new norm or if it's just a mirage, it's a breakout season, and we never see anything close to it again. 
could be the Kevin Hayes of 2020 for all we know. And I'm sorry to Kevin Hayes to keep burning him up, but he's the main guy that comes to my head right now. The thing about Pajot, what makes him so valuable is his two-way element. Um, Very good defensive forward. Um, He's blocked 2.15 defensive zone passes per game, averaged 8.38 defensive zone loose puck recoveries per game, won 2.12 defensive zone puck battles per game, and 4.05 defensive zone faceoffs per game. That's good enough for fourth, fourth, third, and sixth in the entire league amongst forwards this year. That's how good Pajot is. Kind of like Mark Stone, except you don't know offensively what he's capable of. And that is why, unlike previous trades, as much as I'm a fan of Pajot, I don't mind losing him. Yep. The Ottawa Senators, as we all know, are in rebuild mode. We also know that around this time last year, Eugene Melnick sent out an email outlining his plan for the team. And he said from 2021 to 2025, he was going to spend to the league cap. After 2025, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's say Sens ready to contend in 2023, right? If Pasho's contract is weighing you down and preventing you from being like one or two pieces away from contending, all these years of rebuild have been for what? The Sens cannot afford to let... Jean-Gabriel Pajot on an overpaid contract. They cannot afford to let that weigh down their chances of winning later. And again, I like Pajot. I love what he brings. He's done a lot for the community. I'm a big fan of him, and he deserves to get paid, and I'm glad he got his money. But I don't think the Ottawa centers would have done themselves any favors if they overpaid for Jean-Gabriel Pajot just to say to their fans, see, we kept somebody. Yep. We kept somebody. We kept Pajot. This is what you wanted. The problem is if you overpay for the wrong guy and it affects your ability to win later, you're not going to win when it matters. And the Sens need to win when it matters. The fact is the Sens, whether it's this year or next year they get a first round pick from the new york islanders that much is guaranteed it's when they're gonna get it they already have two first round picks this year and at the rate the sharks are going probably both are top 10 so the sends get assets for the future they get a first they get a second for jean gabriel pajot and they save a bit of money to keep guys perhaps like drake batherson josh norris brady kachuk they're already going to be paying shabbat upwards of eight million per year starting next year you need to identify the players that are going to help you win later and i don't know if at five million per year if putting pajot as a third line center is going to be money well spent for the sense defensively yes offensively i don't know so i like pajot but I'm not as depressed compared to previous departures um, now that he's gone. Um, but if you saw uh, Brent Wallace's tweet, um, I believe it was shortly after the deal was made. 
He said Pajot was puking the night before, thinking about signing a contract extension or the pressure of being traded. So it was a decision that he didn't take lightly. It wasn't easy for him and tough, I'm sure, for him to leave his hometown. But I think for both sides, this was for the best. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to mention, because you did kind of shit on Kevin Hayes, uh, I just <laughs> wanted to mention he's projected to have 50 points in these 82 games if he continues on this pace. He has 39 points in 64 games. That's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, it's not bad, but for $7 million per year? Yeah, I guess it could be better, but I, I don't think... Like, it's not... I think there are worse contracts in the game. Um, anyways, uh, you're, you're we're right. going like, off. We're going off yeah, con- topic the, the, here. Yeah, we, we we could name worse contracts. Yeah. You're right. And not to mention, I think Peugeot has around the same. Like, is just doing a little bit better than than, than Kevin Hayes right now. Yeah, uh, I still I still so. think Kevin Hayes is a bit of an overpayment. But yeah, anyways. but I I I get that. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, Peugeot, uh, yeah, you mentioned Peugeot gets six years, five million annual average value. Um, so I guess that's why they traded him up to that. But like you mentioned, it's um, we don't know what kind of Peugeot you're getting because this is his best year by far. Um, mm-hmm. It could be a sign of things to come or it could just be, a, you know, like he's going to go back to being a 30 to 40 point guy every year like he was in the past couple of years. Um, so it's it's unclear in that regard, but um, it could be a decent move for them. We'll see. Um, and not to mention, like he's going to be playing on the third line, which is just a strange thing because they traded a lot to get him, but he's just going to be on the third line like. What gives? Um, so yeah, so that's and, and, that's and where I get more. On, ahead of him on that depth chart is Matt Barzell, which good luck getting his spot. Yeah, and Brock Nelson. Well, I mean, maybe Brock Nelson. He maybe might be Brock a little. Maybe Brock Nelson. Bit, definitely not Matt Barzell. Yeah, definitely not Matt Barzell. I'm fine with that. I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, yeah. um, but like, if you're gonna trade that much for him and sign him for a long term thing. You should sign. You should have him as a second line center. It's like that doesn't make sense to me. But whatever. I guess Lou knows something. I don't. I don't know. Yep. Um, in other news, the other contract that was signed um, it was Chris Kreider signs to the Rangers for seven years, six point five million. Um, and then he, I don't know if it, he immediately, but I, like a week later, he injures his foot. Um, and he's out indefinitely. Um, I guess this kind of makes sense, uh, but um, because it, like, you know, the Rangers were on the up and up uh, just before beforehand, where, you know, uh, Igor Chesterkin was on fire. Um, and then, you know, of course, you have Artemi Panarin, and your team just starts rolling um, because you have a hot goalie. Um, and then Chris Kreider was a big part of that too. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one, I guess this is a good amount for Chris Kreider. Um, I, I am, I remember I am always hesitant for players who play like Chris Kreider, um, how they are doing 
later on um, in their career. He like kind of reminds me of like a David Backus or um, Milan Lucic type, like a power forward. Um, and that's not necessarily sustainable long term. So that's something that you have to think about. But on the other hand, you know, he's, he has 45 points right now in 63 games. There is potential for, like, he is a very good player. Um, so, and like 6.5 isn't too bad for what he can do, um, especially considering he could be like a veteran presence for guys like Capo Caco um, and Philip Heedle and Brett Howden and Julian Gauthier or um, or Elias Anderson if he ever makes the league again. So um, he could be like helpful for those guys. Oh, and Pavel Buchnevich, um as well. Um, by the way, uh, I guess I should mention that uh, Shesterkin and Buchnevich both got into a car accident like right after the trade deadline. Um, and it appears that they're both gonna be out for out indefinitely as well. So there, I was kind of hoping for a Rangers playoff push, but it looks like with along with Kreider's uh, injury um, as well, I think I think they're probably gonna wait another year before they actually make a push to the playoffs. Yeah, Buchnevich um, is nowhere so where he's fine. Um, Shazjurkin, on the other hand, um, I think there's something on the lines of displaced rib fracture. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks. So his is more of a week-to-week thing, which is unfortunate because the Rangers were on such a roll with him in the net. Like, yep. this this guy looks changer. like a legit goalie of the future. He, he looks really, really good for the Rangers. Um, so that's kind of a tough loss losing Shishirkin like that. Um, the Kreider injuries, uh, fractured foot, that's more of a week to week thing. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a month or more. Uh, depends on how quickly his body heals. Um, the thing with Kreider is he brings consistency every single year. In five of the past six seasons, including this one, he's hit 20 goals. And on two occasions, he's scored 28 goals in a season. And before the injury, he was on the verge of his third season with at least 50 points. And he'd done that uh, over the past four years. Um, So, again, consistently putting up around 20 goals and 50 points. He got 201 shots last year, typically averages 150 to 180 per year. In all situations, 15 to 17 minutes of ice time per game. Uh, Between five and nine power play goals per season, that's not bad. Two to three minutes of power play time per game, that's not bad. He also brings a physical element. Uh, 140 to 170 hits every season is usually the threshold for Kreider. And he's also very quick and fast. He's very speedy, draws to the net, not afraid to make things uncomfortable for the other goalie, just ask Carey Price that won playoffs. Um, You need that type of offense in your lineup, especially with all the pure skill the Rangers have. You need a bit of speed and grit that Kreider brings. Uh, So in that sense, it's easy to see Chris Kreider's value to this team. 
I still kind of wonder if at the end of the day, he's going to be traded by the Rangers. Um, he's not on the top line simply because Artemi Panarin. Artemi Panarin, it, when you look at the Rangers, he's the guy, and I've said it many times, he's the guy that drives the boat offensively. Um, I understand that on the rush, Chris Kreider is lethal. He has 10 goals on the rush. Um, pretty lethal on the power play as well. But Chris Kreider doesn't drive this offense. He contributes and he makes it better, but he doesn't drive it. And when Panarin's dictating the pace, we've seen how good this team can be. We've seen what Mika Zibanejad can do. Um, even Ryan Strom um, has put up some good numbers this year. He's kind of refined his game a little bit. If Kreider was a first-line player, I could understand this contract. I don't know if he can fulfill this deal as a second-line winger. And I still think he could get a decent return for the Rangers in trade. But as the Rangers get better and they maybe start to add to their offensive group, if they're trying to re-sign guys, Kreider might be the most expendable contract on this roster. So um, just because he signed this contract doesn't mean Chris Kreider is going to be a Ranger for life. That's, um, that's, uh, okay. that's my that I disagree. I mean, I I do I did say that I think he's going to regress and not be as good just simply because of how he is, but not because Panarin is also on the team. Um, like that's like saying that uh, Kuch- Matthew Kachuk can't be that good because Johnny Gaudreau is also on the team. Like you yeah, know, that's a fair point. you know, you can have two really good left wingers. Um, or, or right-wingers um, on a team. In fact, that's even better for you because, um, you know, when, like, f- taking the Flames, for example, when Gaudreau's not on fire, there's a good chance that Matthew Kachuk is on fire. So so it's, like, they kind of work hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, but I do, I do agree that I think Kreider won't be as good later on in this contract, so maybe they do trade him just knowing that. But... Um, at the moment, I, I, I don't think they will trade him because, you know, they signed him. <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing to note, again, with the Pajot contract is how it's structured. They get a lot of the dollar signs out yep. early on. In year one, Kreider's making $10 million. Year two, it's $9.5. million in years three and four. Then you get to years five to seven, and it's five, then four, then five. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Okay. So that kind of makes it a bit easier if... He ends up getting traded down the road. It's a bit, his contract becomes a bit more tradable if it's towards the end he gets dealt. Yeah, I didn't know that part of the contract, but okay. So that that makes sense. Um, So other injuries that we should note, um, if like, if we didn't have all these trades to cover, we probably would talk about this instead. But uh, Steven Stamkos is out six to eight weeks. Um, he has a core muscle surgery, which I'm not really sure what that means. Cause like, well, there's a lot of muscles that are your core. Um, but, but anyways, he's out six to eight weeks. So that roughly puts him around the middle of the playoffs, assuming the lightning get that far, um, in the first place. Um, and that also brings us to a uh, time to talk about the fact that Barclay Goudreau is going to Tampa Bay for a first um, which you didn't think that would happen. Um, and then also the Blake Coleman trade that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
as well. So I guess there is a good reason to like that Sam Stamco like they made all these different trades, but um, that's obviously a huge loss for the Lightning, um, not having Stamkos uh, in their lineup. Yeah, um, it, on the bright side, Brayden Point um, maybe can uh, get his offensive uh, groove really uh, kicked into high gear just in time for the playoffs because that kind of opens the door for him to play on the first line. So right. might not be so bad for Tampa in that regard. Um, should also be noted Tampa Bay had uh, two first-round picks prior to February, and uh, they traded away both of them. They traded uh, their first round, uh, Vancouver's first round pick, um, in the Blake Coleman trade, and uh, they traded away their own first round pick uh, to San Jose for Barkley Goudreau. Um, interesting to, thing to note about Goudreau: Goudreau's one of those gritty guys that can pitch in with some secondary offense. I think he was kind of the player that Tampa Bay was missing. Last year in the playoffs when they got swept by Columbus, of course, everyone remembers that. I think they had too much skill and not enough grit. And they got a bit of grit when they got Patrick Maroon in the offseason. Um, I think they're adding to that by getting Barkley Goudreau and uh, some secondary scoring in the bottom six. And even Blake Coleman, who has had 213, uh, who had 213 shots last year, rather, and probably will hit 200 at some point this season. He has 191 after his 61st game. Um, what maybe people forget is in 2017-18, Blake Coleman had 216 hits, and last year he had 225. So he can also throw his weight yeah. around too. Uh, this year he also uh, has 178, so projected to have over 200 hits again. So. Um, by getting Coleman and Goudreau, they add some secondary scoring as well as some much-needed grit. Um, so I think come playoff time, Tampa is going to be a lot tougher to play against compared to last year. Anyway. But the thing is, is would you pay a first for Barclay Goudreau? Um, you know, like a that is a stretch. Yeah. I probably wouldn't myself, so, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Steven. I I don't know if Steve Eiserman would have if he was still the GM. Well, yeah, it's just funny because you were just saying like this is the missing piece for them because he he gets all this grit and stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, but they spent a first rounder on him. Uh, I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do. Um, like the same reason for Peugeot. It's like he's going to be a third liner at most. I don't know why you would get him for, like, why you would trade a first for him. That's not what, that's not a value of what a first would yeah. take. So they, they also um, were able to get these guys to, like, combine not even $4 million, so it helps their cap. Yeah. Probably the only thing I would disagree was giving up a 2021st, but um, I guess if that's what Julian Breezebois thinks will put his team over the top, then. A ballsy decision on his part, but you know we'll see. We'll see if it works. We'll see if the bold strategy pays off for him. Um, you're you're right. It might be a bit much to get him, but um, I, I I guess uh, I guess Julian Breezeball likes going with his gut sometimes, and this is definitely a gutsy move. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely a gutsy move. It was just I can see the perks. It's strange. Well, it's a gutsy move, but it's still a gutsy move. Like of all the first round picks that were traded this this time around, I was like, I think that's the most head scratching one. Like Brady Shea, maybe I I can kind of see that. Um, you know, like Vincent Tro, not Vincent Trocek, um, Peugeot, I could see as well. I don't know about Barclay Goudreau. Or, like, Andre Cachet is another one that I could see. Blake Coleman as well. That one I could see as well. But, yeah, I don't know about the um, Barclay Goudreau. Anyways. I guess, I, guess, I guess the trick is if you think you know you're going to be very, very good and that pick is probably going to be in, like, you know, the later part of the first round, you're more than willing to part ways with that as opposed to, you know, maybe being 15 to 20. Right. Um, but in order for that to happen, Tampa would probably have to lose out in the first round again. Yeah. Which um, they're hoping probably doesn't happen. Yeah. So uh, our next trade is a three-way trade, which is pretty exciting, um, and a goalie <laughs> trade. Cause that the most are, nonsensical yeah. three-way trade I think we've seen in a while. That's true, too. I remember speaking last week where I was saying, like, goalies never get traded. Because uh, I was talking about Robin Leonard, and I, I didn't think that he would be traded. But it turns out I was wrong. Um, basically, so Vegas gets Robin Leonard um, and Martin Dzerklas. Um, I That's definitely the correct pronunciation. <laughs> I, uh, think it's, I think it's Martin's Dzerkles. Okay, cool. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> right, of course. Um, and then Chicago gets Malcolm Subban, Slava Demon, and a 2020 second round pick. Uh, that was Pittsburgh's. And, uh, and then somehow Toronto gets into the mix. By the way, we haven't even talked about the fact that they lost to a, um, a 42-year-old uh, Zamboni driver that works for them. Um, <laughs> they're AHL affiliate, I might add. Yeah. Not the NHL team, they're AHL affiliate, the Toronto Marlies. And they need a goalie uh, desperately, I mean, other than Freddie yeah. Anderson. But yeah. they help pay uh, half of Robin Leonard's contract so that he can go to Vegas. Yep. Um, and they also get a 2025th round pick from Vegas for doing them a solid, which is just like a. This is probably the strangest part about this trade. Um, we'll talk about what Robin Leonard uh, does for Vegas in a second, but like that's just the it's just the craziest thing. Like, why did Toronto even have to do that? Like, they already have they're already in cap hell already, so they're just paying for Robin Leonard to go to Vegas. Um, it makes no sense. It reminded me like a couple of years ago. I think uh, Vegas paid like half of Broussard's salary so that he could go to Pittsburgh or I think it was something like that and it just confused me um uh, but yeah so Robin Leonard is the Toronto paid Robin Leonard's contract or something like that uh but anyways Vegas gets Robin Leonard um which should be helpful because you know nowadays um pretty much every team or every competitive team has uh, like two very good goalies, most notably uh, Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. 
Uh, also, like Matt Murray and Tristan Jari are kind of being a one-two punch now. Um, Bennington and Jake Allen are getting there. Um, there's a couple of other... Oh, Bishop and Kudobin as well. I'm sure there's other ones that I'm missing. But uh, having Robin Leonard, who's like has like a 926 save percentage, uh, with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who's also having a great season too, like that, that does wonders for them, especially... Um, like during the playoffs because Robin Leonard is arguably better than Flurry um, in a lot of ways so um, I could see that like maybe Flower uh, kind of does poorly in the playoffs and then you just put in Leonard and he gets on a hot streak so um, that could that could do that this could be like the game changer I feel like where Vegas could actually win the Stanley Cup because of this trade in particular. Um, Malcolm Subban goes to Chicago. He's one of those, he's one of those things where like he might need a new situation. So this could work out for Chicago in the long run because they'll need a new goalie, uh, starting goalie pretty soon because Corey Crawford uh, might be done (laughs) this year. Um, But that, that could be interesting for them. But yeah, I really like this deal for Vegas because I think Robin Leonard could eventually become that true number one starter for Vegas in a couple of years, assuming they sign him long term. Mm-hmm. So we'll, I'll start with the Toronto stuff because that is especially ludicrous. Um, so they re-signed Jake Muzzin on a four-year deal, out four weeks with a broken hand, by the way. So they're giving out another five to six million to one of their players and they have you know other matters to attend to like Tyson Berry and what happens to him after um, this season and they have to work around the cap and still make their team better and ensure that their team is still ready to contend in the years to come and they're just battling to make the playoffs why are they retaining half of Robin Leonard's salary and they get a 2025th. They get absolutely nothing out of that. Like what there must be yeah. a backroom deal behind this that we don't know about. Like yeah, it must be. there has to be more to this. There has to be. Because Toronto doesn't just Kyle Lewis doesn't just hold out his hand and say, yeah, we'll help you out. We'll yeah. take on half of Leonard's contract for him to play for you guys. Robin Leonard could be helping you. Why are you letting Vegas get Robin Leonard, a guy that you could probably use? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's peak Toronto Maple Leafs. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Well, peak Toronto Maple Leafs is losing to a a backup, a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. Which is uh, why it well. makes so much sense because it makes no sense at all. That's right, that's right, right. why. Yeah, I found I found that particularly funny when I when I found out uh, that was part of the transaction, and it explains why it took so long for it to become official because they had to work out some logistics. Anyway, um, Chicago saves one point six five million in this deal. Toronto somehow saves one point four million, and Vegas loses three point zero five million. Um, so getting to Robin Leonard and what he brings to Vegas, 
and he brings a lot to the Vegas Golden Knights. At the time of the trade, he had zero shutouts, a 3.01 GAA, but his record was 16-10-5. He had a 9.18 save percentage. Keep in mind that in terms of minutes played, he was 27th in the league. In terms of games started, he was 29th in the league with 31. In terms of games played, he was 27th in the league with 33. He faced 40-plus shots in 12 starts this season. In 12 of his 31 starts, he faced at least 40 shots. In 19 of his 31 starts, he faced at least 35 shots. So, in other words, while he was close to, like, somewhere between 25th and 30th in the league, in terms of minutes played, games started, games played. He's 14th in the league in saves made and 14th in the league in shots against. That translates into a Chicago Blackhawks defense that's either invisible or still stuck in 2013, and Leonard is basically the only thing holding him in the game most nights. Robin Leonard is in his prime. He's looking for a place to fit in. He's looking for a situation where he wants to be the guy, and he feels that he's ready for this moment, and he's playing like it right now. Outside of Marc-Andre Fleury, this Vegas team has nobody they can rely on consistently. There were times where Malcolm Subban showed that maybe he could, but not as often as expected, where I think a lot of people felt comfortable that, okay, Fleury's out, Subban's in, he's our guy, we're confident, we can trust him. Leonard is a big name upgrade for this team. They own arguably the best one-two punch in the NHL when it comes to goaltending. I feel like Robin Leonard can keep Flurry fresh. He's not even 30 years old. Um, a guy like Flurry getting up there in age or fresh Mark Andre Flurry would be great for Vegas's playoff run. It's nice that they got guys like Alec Martinez to help stabilize the defense, which Leonard didn't have in Chicago. I think I've said that before. Um, but you put him in front of that defensive structure, and all things considered, the Golden Knights are a much better team following the last two weeks. And I honestly think Robin Leonard might usurp Mark andre Fleury. Um maybe not as soon as the 2022 NHL expansion draft, which Vegas is thankfully exempt from. But I think once Fleury's deal runs out, or maybe just a little bit before that, maybe a year before that, it'll be Robin Leonard's crease. And they might have to work around the cap to keep Robin Leonard in the fold, but I think there's a way where they can pay Robin Leonard, they can pay Marc-Andre Fleury, and they can have this solid goaltending tandem for at least a couple of years uh, when they're in contention mode, oddly enough, as a young expansion team. Um, the question that I have beyond this is what's going to happen to Stan Bowman after the season? Because what we found out according to a very close source of Mark Lazarus, who is a member of the Chicago media. A source close to him said that Robin Leonard was willing to stay in Chicago for another three seasons and take a bit less money to stay there. He was never offered an offer like that 
and they traded him anyway. If the Blackhawks keep Corey Crawford and lose Robin Leonard, Stan Bowman should not have a job. He should be fired after the season is over. This, if true, is a massive blunder by the Chicago Blackhawks, and they cannot be forgiven for it because Robin Leonard is one of the best goalies in the league playing on one of the worst defenses in the league. He was one of the best goalies in the league last year, nominated for the Vezina in one of the best defensive structured teams in the league. And he still put up good numbers on a bad defensive team this year. Chicago winning with this group needs to win now. Robin Leonard could help them do that, and he's not on their team anymore. If Stan Bowman had a chance to turn back time and keep Robin Leonard, he should be gone after the season, plain and simple. So this is where I disagree with you because uh, Chicago is clearly in rebuilding mode. Uh, they're not competing right now, and as you mentioned, Robin Leonard is in his prime, so I think they uh they can't like you know it doesn't like they don't want to waste his prime um and and do that um so i think they they were smart to let him go if they weren't serious about signing him i mean obviously you know you want like robin leonard's a really good goaltender and there's you know it's hard to find good goaltenders in this league but on the other hand it's like you know the blackhawks aren't contending this year and uh, and they have to they have to get something out of Robin Leonard if they weren't seriously going to sign him. Um, I don't know what they're gonna do for the future because it's not like they have any goaltending um, prospects that could be good for them. The only one up. I can think of is Colin Delia. Colin Delia, that's one. I think they have. But um, that's it, pretty much. Yeah, uh, I thought they had. Um, isn't it Alexis Gravel? Isn't that, isn't that a oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I think he's. You think he's Blackhawks property too? Yeah. But I don't know if he's any good. Actually, I just I just know his name because of how awesome it is. But uh, I think they like they don't have that many good goalie prospects in that regard. Um. So, I I think they don't like they could afford to lose Robin Leonard just because. They weren't seriously contending in the first place. They're not going to be good for a couple of years, um, and I think that's that's why they were willing to let him go because Robin Leonard's not like he is in his prime right now. Um, he may not be good when the Blackhawks are good. So, um, so I think there is something to uh, not uh, to to trading him away. Um, even though you know that he is a really good goaltender. Um, oh, yeah, I, I guess. I was, like, if it was clear that Leonard wasn't going to stay there, then obviously trade him before the deadline. Okay. And if he wasn't a part of your plans, trade him before the deadline. I was just puzzled that Robin Leonard was willing to sign for three years and take less money to stay in Chicago and you trade him anyway. That that's oh, what I, I kind of have a problem with. Yeah, but I think like even from that perspective, like Robin Leonard knew that he could be he could have signed somewhere and gotten a lot of money for what he was 
what he should have gotten um, even beforehand, but he just chose to take less um, because he wanted to approve it contract. Um, but like he never said like that he wanted to stay in Chicago, I don't think. Um, so I mean, I would agree with you if um, if he had wanted to stay in Chicago, then yeah, they shouldn't have traded him. But I don't like I don't know if he publicly or even privately said that. That's something we don't know. Um, kind of like uh, Joe Thornton, uh, where he uh, said publicly that he was disappointed that he didn't get traded, and then Doug Wilson comes out and says that there wasn't a trade that they felt like they could have made. But on the other hand, if Doug, if Joe Thornton really wanted to be traded, there could have been a trade that would have been made. Uh, for them. So that's that's where it gets a little um, he said, he said kind of thing. Um, all right, let's go to uh, Eric Gustafson. Speaking of the Blackhawks, um, he's going to the Calgary Flames. Um, this one's kind of an interesting one. Uh, it's like only because like Gustafson's not that bad of a defenseman. Um, last year he had 60 points. This year, he, he sort of took a downturn, but he's still not that bad. 26 points in 59 games. Um, but, like, they, uh, Cal, uh, the Blackhawks only got a 2020 conditional third-round pick for them, and that condition is the Chicago will receive the higher of the Calgary or Edmonton third-round picks, um, depending on how well Edmonton and Calgary do in the playoffs or you know, if one of the teams doesn't make it or whatnot. But, like, I know Gustafson's going to be a UFA next year and he can go to whatever team. But this one, like, this one I feel like Chicago probably could have at least kept him because um, it's like you only got a third-round pick. Um, that that seems kind of crazy to me. Um, they, they probably could have gotten more um, out of them um, than that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess it, it will help Calgary, especially if Mark Giordano is out long-term. I know he is currently out, um, for the moment. I forget exactly how long, but, um, so it should help them out that way, especially on the power play. But, um, I, I'm just more, I feel like a third round pick is way too low for Eric Gustafson. Yeah, I mean, if Barkley Goudreau could get you a first, you right. would think maybe Eric Gustafson. A guy who had 60 points as a defenseman last year? Yeah, I think he could. I mean, I know there is some consistency issues and whatnot, but you'd think you could do better than that. Yeah, um, if, and he had a monster year last year. In 2018-19, yep. he had 17 goals, 43 assists for 60 points, 18 power play points, 160 shots, 100 hits. 115 block shots over three minutes uh, per game on the power play, 22 minutes, 35 seconds per game in all situations. Um, his ice time dropped by over two minutes this year, but still six goals and 28 points, respectable amount for a guy that's not costing all that much. Um, I actually alluded to the possibility, depending on how Chicago season goes, that this guy would probably be getting moved at the trade deadline, and that's exactly what happened. Um, decent third-pairing guy that I 
like you said, could help uh, the Flames in terms of depth. Uh, I don't know if I said on the podcast before, as soon as last week or the week before, giveaways are a problem for Eric Gustafson. Yeah. Uh, turnovers, giveaways, um, definitely his Achilles heel. Um, don't think he's going to be a primary choice on the top units if the coach has a choice, but definitely for a low cost and a death move, it's a decent addition for the Calgary Flames. Uh, they also get Derek Forbert, who has more of a uh, defensive shutdown appeal to his game. Hasn't played all that much uh, for the LA Kings, but um, last year in the time that he played, he uh, was one of the most effective uh, shutdown guys in terms of uh, even strength situations. He was pretty good. Um, so I think they basically get two defensemen. One's good on the offense. The other's good on the defense. Uh, Forbert plays the left. Gustafson plays the right. Uh, and uh, they're currently listed on the third pairing. So I think together they will hopefully form a pretty good defensive and um, hopefully makes the Flames a better team. Um, Low-key additions, but I think could pay off for Calgary if, if they get hot. Um, so we're kind of running long now, but I figure uh, we should mention these other two trades uh, just really quickly because they are somewhat notable. Uh, Buffalo mm -hmm. gets uh, Dominic Cahoon for uh, Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez, who are going to the Penguins. Connor Sherry returns to Pittsburgh. Evan Rodriguez, who is most notable, known as... Uh, Jack Eichel's college teammate, line mate. Um, I guess now he's uh, now on a different team than Jack Eichel. Uh, he's going to Pittsburgh. Uh, Dominic Cahoon, uh, buff, uh, Pittsburgh got in that uh, Oli Mata trade um, over the summer. Mm -hmm. um, he, he could be decent in Buffalo. I don't, I don't mind that spot for him, but um, I guess the most intriguing part is Connor Sheary is back in Pittsburgh. Connor, not only Connor Sherry back in Pittsburgh playing with Crosby again. Yep. And the last time he did that, he had uh, 23 goals and 53 points in 61 games. His 54 shots in 2016-17 remain a career high to this day. Played with Crosby a lot back then, won a Stanley Cup with Pittsburgh, um, and is listed on uh, the first line with uh, Crosby and Sucker. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Connor Sherry can refine his game I don't blame Dominic Cahoon for feeling even the slightest discouragement because this is the second time in as many years where he's been traded, uh, played all of last year in Chicago as a rookie. Yep. Then in the offseason, as you mentioned, gets traded to Pittsburgh in the only amount of trade and uh, now gets traded to Buffalo midseason. Um, I, I think if he gets the right chance, the right opportunity, he could be a very serviceable NHL player. Um, he just needs to be given that chance. And I don't think Pittsburgh gave him enough of a chance yep. to really prove that he could be a mainstay in this league. And hopefully he gets his chance in Buffalo right now. He's currently listed on the fourth line with Jimmy VC and Marcus Johansson. Right. Um, and then we have uh, Nick Ritchie goes to Boston and Danton Heining goes to Anaheim. As the Boston Bruins fan here, I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this. I'm not too surprised that Dan Heinen is 
gone with the because uh, Anders Bjork and um, Carson Kuhlman kind of had taken over that kind of role for them and um, you know of course it's still sad to see him go um, but like when you compare both Nick Ritchie and Danton Heinen together uh, they're pretty much identical offensively speaking it's just that Nick Ritchie hits a lot more um, and has more of that aggressive style that the Bruins love. Um, and uh, Dan and Heinen is more of the playmaker defensive type, um, which is something that, um, yeah, it's going to be uh, tough to see uh, him in Anaheim. It already is. I see highlights of him in Anaheim, and I'm like, oh, of course. Like, I feel like uh, someone was telling me the other day that they think he's going to be, he has the potential to be like a Frank Vitrano or Noel Achari type player where he's much better when the Bruins, when he's not on the Bruins. So we'll see that. Uh, I think Dan Heinen's on the first line in Anaheim. Uh, oh no, he's on the second line, sorry. Um, and then uh, Nick Ritchie is now on the second line in Boston. Um, he's playing alongside David Krejci um, and Andre Cache, the other Anaheim duck that the Bruins got. Um, so I'm just glad that the Bruins didn't trade a fortune to get Chris Kreider or that they didn't trade away Jack Stadnicka. So um, I am fine with the moves that the Bruins made. Um, it was funny seeing Nick Ritchie get a goal and an assist this week and because I thought Andre Cache was going to be like the first the first of the ex ducks to break out but um yeah it turns out it's nick ritchie so i have a feeling he he could this could be like a charlie coiled ryan donato trade where i'm like sad at the moment but in the in a couple of games later i'm gonna be like oh nick ritchie's like an awesome player um and i'm glad that the bruins got him so yeah we'll see i i don't hate the trade but it, it has potential to blow over or it has the potential to show that Don Sweeney's actually a genius. So um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, th- these are two really good trades that the Bruins made with, uh, with the Anaheim Ducks. Yep. I mean, Danton Heinen in 2017-18 at 16 goals, 47 points. But if you look at the time on ice per game and the power play time on ice per game, it's, only separated by a matter of a handful of seconds, really. I think the difference this year was execution, chemistry, maybe a bit of hard luck even. Uh, the results just weren't there. And um, you take a look at his linemates in Anaheim, Adam Henrique and Kiefer Sherwood, um, you know, they might be good hockey players. Uh, don't really know if they're better than his linemates in Boston. Right. Um, but... Um, there, there, there could be some upside to Danton Ninen's game. It'll be interesting to see how he does over there. Nick Ritchie is a gritty Bruin that can provide secondary scoring. Um, he has six points in his past four games, 21 points in 45 games this year. From the start of 2016-17 to the end of 2017-18, a span of two seasons, he compiled 468 hits against the opposition. Didn't even average 14 minutes per game. He could still average 100 to 150 shots on goal a year, even with limited ice time. They gained a bit of skill in Nick Ritchie, but mostly 
a very gritty, pesky player that you just hate to play against if you're the other team. Kind of like, like David Bacchus, in a way. I think maybe it's a counter to the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle Clifford if they square off in round one again. Yeah. So... It's it's one of those trades. I don't know if you looked at uh, the hockey guys video, but he looked at the last ten cup winners and what they did at the deadline before they won the cup. Not too many of those years did the eventual cup winner do something massive. Like St. Louis last year, their main deadline acquisition was Michael Del Zotto, and he barely played any ice time. That's a good point. Yeah. So. Um, sometimes the team that stands pat and does a little bit of tinkering is the team that eventually wins everything. So maybe that's a good omen for the Bruins. And these are just two minor trades that have uh, big payoffs for them uh, when it matters. Um, I, Boston, to me, is a team that didn't really have to do much to improve their roster. Their roster was already good as is. Yeah. But if they tinker things a little bit, maybe to improve their roster in other ways, maybe they get the inside track on a couple of teams that are chasing them. So um, yeah. I, I think um, the high end for Richie Swap was a fair one for the Bruins. Yeah, I think it I think it is a fair one. I think it's like Dan Hyen's a very good player. I wouldn't be surprised if he kills it in Anaheim with more ice time. I think that's the one knock is I don't think he had enough ice time to really shine um, and like didn't really make sense to put him on the second line and definitely not on the top line so I think that there has something to do with that and um, you know who and I think like when I was looking at Nick Ritchie and Dan Heinen's stats I started to realize like oh they're they're kind of similar except that Nick Ritchie hits a lot more so I think there is um, something to that where they're just a different type of player but uh, but they're good in a d- different sep- separate way um, so yeah. we'll see um, uh, it should also be yeah. known that the Bruins saved 1.3 million 1.3 million maybe they could use to keep Corey Krug uh, Tory Krug in Boston who knows yeah, that's, a, that's a good point too um, yeah and I think that's actually a, a lot of the reason why they made these two trades is because, you know, that Cache trade, that a big selling point is we traded away David Backus's contract, um, yep. and that should certainly help in uh, in cap space for when uh, when Tory Krug uh, needs to get paid again. So yeah, there's that, um, but we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, I guess it's also like I I remember Brett Ritchie we got um, early on in the season or oh yeah summer, that's right and now we have his brother so it's like it's kind of confusing because um, we already suffered through that with Jimmy Hayes um, but uh, even though Kevin Hayes is the better player than Jimmy Hayes. I know you don't like Kevin Hayes, but he's much better than Jimmy Hayes. I don't like Jimmy his Hayes. contract. I like Kevin Hayes. I don't like his okay. contract. I, I'm saying, but he is better than Jimmy Hayes. Um, yeah, his we brother. agree on that. <laughs> um, so, so there is that little like PTSD of like, oh, are we getting Brett Ritchie's 
like, are we getting another form of Brett Ritchie because they are brothers? But uh, so far, it hasn't looked that way. We'll see, though. Um, anyways, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our, um, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Tuboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 209 of the Lace Them Up podcast.